Hey, Madison Church. My name is Jake, and I'm a huge fan of you guys. Most of you don't know me, but your pastor is one of my best friends. And I've been cheering you on since you started. I love to see how you've grown and all that God is doing in and through you. I'm really grateful to your pastor, Stephen, for letting me join and be a part of your gathering today. I'm actually joining you from Las Vegas, which is where I live, and it's going to be 60 degrees today. I, I can't wait to hang out with you in Madison. And so when we're through with the worst of this pandemic and it's not a frozen tundra, I'd love to see you in person. Today, we're going to wrap up the series you've been in. And I hope you had a great Christmas celebration. I hope you got some of the things that might have been on your gift list. I know that's not always the case. In fact, I came across some highlights of the worst Christmas gifts, and I thought I'd share a few with you. First, this gift was for a young man who wanted a pair of Beats headphones. If you don't know what they are, they are high-end headphones, a little pricey. So someone in this family thought it would be an adequate substitution. I don't think those Beats do any noise canceling. Then there's this guy who received the exact same outfit he was wearing. Seriously, if you were the gift giver, imagine the moment you, you first see the person on the day of the exchanging of gifts. Thank God for gift receipts. Finally, we all, we all probably have that person in our family who likes to give gifts to use plenty of, of intrigue and, and misdirection. You know, uh, imagine you receive this picture. Like the picture says, you're thinking like, meh. But, but once you tear off the wrapping, you find this. Whoa, a new iPhone. Not at all what you were expecting. And then you open the box, and it's this. At least you have a frying pan to whack the person with. Have you ever been disappointed with a Christmas gift? Or disappointed that someone else returned the gift you gave? Disappointment can be a challenge when it comes to gift giving, but it's even more challenging when it comes to our real day-to-day -day lives. In fact, one of the hardest parts of living through this pandemic has been the disappointment that has come with it. Canceled vacations and trips, missing momentous occasions like graduations, births, funerals. Some of us didn't get the raise we were counting on. Some of us don't have the job at all anymore. I've been disappointed for my kids. They've missed out on Little League Baseball and fifth grade trips. They've missed out on friendships. I've been disappointed for my friends. Some lost the wedding of their dreams. Some have been disappointed by the way the people that they thought that they could count on. We've been disappointed this year with with the church and other Christians. We've been disappointed by our elected officials and public services. This has been a year marked by disappointment. That doesn't include just the regular everyday life kind of disappointments. When we don't get the promotion or when the relationship doesn't work out or when life simply isn't what we imagined it would be. What do we do then? How do we deal with disappointment? Well, today we're going to learn about a group of people who were facing disappointment. Over the last few weeks, we've been learning about the story of God and his people in the time B.C., 
before Christmas. And during this time, God sent prophets to speak words of wisdom, warning, and encouragement. These prophets had names like Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the prophet we're going to learn about today, Malachi. was a thousand years before Christmas, around 930 BC, Israel split into two kingdoms when mostly by bad kings. So God sent the prophets to speak words that were true, but nobody listened and the kingdoms fell through. When the southern kingdom fell, the Israelites were kicked out. The people couldn't tell what God's plan was all about. They eventually returned to rebuild their temple and reclaim their land. But as the prophet Malachi writes, it wasn't all that grand. The people are disappointed, wondering if there's even a God above. Yet in the middle of all this doubt, God shows Malachi a sign of his love. The people in Malachi's day were disappointed. They'd been through a lot. They'd been conquered by the Babylonians and carried off into exile. Years later, they were allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple, but the rebuilt temple was nowhere near as grand and glorious as its predecessor. They were still under foreign rule. It seemed so many of God's promises had not been fulfilled, and it's in the middle of all of this disappointment that the word of the Lord comes to his prophet Malachi in approximately 430 B.C. The book of Malachi begins with these words, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, in the original Hebrew, these words from God have a special emphasis that's hard to capture in English. God is emphatically telling his people, I have loved you this whole time. I have never stopped loving you. And yet the people respond, how have you loved us? Their disappointment causes them to question whether they are really loved. They look around at their circumstances and think, God, you haven't come through for us. How can you say that you love us? Can you hear the hurt in their question? Maybe even a little anger. Have you ever felt that way yourself? It's pretty common to feel disappointment when life seems to deal us a bad hand. Maybe you used to have a vision of your life where you were in control and and, and on top of everything that was going on. But then you got sick or or then a pandemic hit and, and it changed everything. Or you thought your family life was close to perfect, but then you learned about the affair and now you find yourself divorced. Or maybe things are actually going well. You can point to so many good things, and and yet something still seems to be missing, something that gnaws at your sense of fulfillment. When I think of my own life, I know I've wrestled with disappointment. I met Stephen before he planted Madison Church, because I was also starting a new church at the same time in Las Vegas. In fact, my church in Las Vegas launched the same year as Madison Church. But my church no longer exists. 
After four years, we decided to close and, and move on to our next chapter. That wasn't the dream I had. I still think about that church and those people. When I drive through the neighborhood, I still hurt. I lost a lot in that journey. I lost friends. I lost money. I lost credibility. I lost a dream. And the disappointment from that still sneaks up in my life. And my guess is that you have some area of your life where you feel disappointment too. Here's the thing about those disappointments. Often the holidays, like Christmas, just make it worse. The familiar place, routine, or tradition you once shared has slipped from your life, and it's not the same. No amount of hype or positive thinking makes it right again. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were trying to salvage some of what we were disappointed with in the holiday season. We couldn't do some of our normal holiday traditions, so we thought we would try something new. Every year, they set up a huge light display outside of the Las Vegas Speedway. Usually, that's, they have NASCAR races, but during the holidays, it's changed to glittering lights. You drive through the whole thing in your car, and so great, like pandemic-friendly. We bought our tickets. We just went with the regular weekday ticket. You know, It costs more to go on the weekend, and it's also busier. And it didn't go with the $50 fast pass version. Just went with the regular $20 general admission. We left our house around 6 p.m. We have a 10-year-old, 6-year-old, and a 2-year-old. We loaded everyone up. We drove out to the speedway and then sat in line. And I mean sat in line. At first, kind of steadily moving. Then not moving. Just sitting in line. One hour. Two hours. At two hours in line, we passed a small sign that said, only 60 more minutes from this point. We didn't have any snacks. Hadn't made any bathroom plans. We're just supposed to drive out, drive through the lights, and drive home. Three hours in line, and we finally get to the entrance. Now, I've got to get some hot chocolate and some popcorn because I'm trying to save this thing here. We had let the kids unbuckle, and as soon as the hot chocolate is in the car, my two-year-old lunges for it because she's starving and up way past her bedtime, knocks a whole cup of hot chocolate all over my wife. Four hours later, we finally get back to our house. And let me tell you, there's no light display that you wait over three hours for and you feel good about. We tried our new thing to save the holidays and still disappointment. Maybe we don't say it aloud, but often when we feel the sting of our disappointments, we too can begin to doubt God's love. We feel like he's let us down. We wonder why if he really does love us, why does it seem he isn't coming through? And very quickly, disappointments turn into distance. Disappointment turns into distance. That's what happens with Israel in, in Malachi's day. They're disappointed with God. How have you loved us? And their disappointment causes them to stop honoring God. 
They don't bring their best to God with their worship sacrifices. The, the priests stop emphasizing God's teaching and, and don't keep up their commitments to God. The people start making room in their lives for idols rather than being wholly devoted to God. They stop giving to God. They're putting distance between themselves and God. They're letting their hearts turn more and more away from the God who loves them. When you're disappointed with your significant other, it doesn't take much for that disappointment to create distance, a little quieter, a little shorter in the text exchange. When your kids are disappointed with you, they, they put a little distance in the relationship. When you're disappointed with your job, then your, your heart and effort starts to move away. Disappointment turns into distance. Yet it's in the middle of all the disappointment that the word of the Lord comes to Malachi promising a sign of love. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi declares that hope will come. God promises that one who will be coming, who will give them a fresh start, who will still show his love. And this promised one will be preceded by a messenger, a forerunner, who will prepare the way for his coming. However, after God says all this through the prophet Malachi, he goes silent for 400 years. Nothing. No more prophets. No more words from the Lord. Until a birth is announced. And not just one birth, but two. Fast forward to the end of these 400 years of silence, and an angel of the Lord appears to an aging priest named Zechariah. The angel tells him that his wife Elizabeth will bear him a son, and they are to give him the name John. Then six months later, another angel visits a young woman named Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. These two pregnant women, Elizabeth and Mary, were from the same family, maybe fourth cousins. And they rejoiced in each other's news, and in time, both gave birth to their sons. Elizabeth's boy, John, grew up and became the forerunner Malachi had prophesied about. He called people to repentance and baptism, and the people began to wonder if, if he was the promised Messiah. But John declared, well, I, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, as the forerunner, John pointed people to Jesus. For the son who was born to Mary was no ordinary child. He is the Lord coming 
to his temple, the messenger of a new covenant, the savior we long for come into the world. Understand, Jesus coming to earth is not just a sweet story we tell at Christmas. It's a revelation of God's love. If you ever doubt you are loved, just look to the cradle. Let me say this, and and please try to hear it like it's the very first time, okay? On Christmas night, God, Almighty God, Lord of heaven and earth, Sovereign creator of the universe gave up everything to become one of us. And and not just one of us, the very least of us, a baby in a cradle. One writer put it this way. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He came not as a flash of light or an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. Matthew, the tax collector and writer of the first book in the New Testament, describes his coming this way. She will give him the name Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. Now, I think our tendency is to hear that as a standard Bible reading for the Christmas season. But let's reflect on that truth. He will save the people from their sins. We may not be comfortable with the word sin. But we have to get the significance of it. Theologian Cornelius Plantiga says that sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. It's an attack on the kingdom of God and, and all that is good and hopeful. It's all that we experience in this world that is not as it should be because God's goodness and wholeness has been disrupted. We have been hurt by sin and likely hurt others in return. And yet Jesus chooses to come and live in the midst of the havoc that sin has created. Before Jesus, no one had ever been born who could save people from their sins. And, And how did he take on the sin? Matthew continues. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus in the cradle means that God loves us enough to be with us in this sin-soaked world. God takes on flesh and becomes human. Theologians call this the incarnation. It means he literally, physically, historically, and tangibly came to be with us even in our deepest disappointments in this broken world. And throughout his time on earth, he loved like no one has ever loved. He loved the rich young ruler and the woman caught in adultery. He loved Peter, one of his best friends, who denied him three times. And he loved John, who stayed with him every step of the way. He loved the cheating tax collector and the widow who gave away 
her last penny. He loved everyone. No exceptions. No deceptions. He simply loved. God declared his love for us by becoming one of us. The people of Israel may have been disappointed and that disappointment turned into distance. But instead of God saying, hey, I'll meet you halfway, he just comes the whole way. He covers the whole distance. It doesn't matter how great the distance is. He will come the whole way. There is no distance from sin or from disappointment that God will not cover. You may feel further from God at the end of this year than you did at the beginning of this year, but it doesn't matter. It's not far enough because God will still come that far and more. And yet, he was despised and rejected by men. To such an extent that this baby who was born into our world became a grown man who faced the cruelest of deaths, a death on the cross. Yeah, Jesus knew disappointment. He was rejected and killed by the very people he came to save. And why did he do it? Because he loved us. Understand, he didn't have to die. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Jesus had to die or that it was the wrath of God that, that forced him to the cross. Jesus chose this path. At any moment, he could have walked away. But instead, he chose to experience the most gruesome and excruciating, painful death one could endure. Why? For the love of you and me to save us from our sins. The Apostle Paul describes it this way. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to save us from all the disappointments we experience because of our sin-ridden world. While we can't always escape the effects of sin, the cross gives us hope in the present and a promise of a future where there's no more pain, no more sin, no more disappointment. So if you still doubt that he loves you this Christmas, look beyond the cradle to the cross. What looked like a disappointing defeat ended in an astonishing victory. Jesus rose from the dead, giving us a hope that even the most devastating circumstances did not erase. If you doubt God loves you this Christmas, look to the cradle and to the cross. But don't just look. My ask is, is that you would respond. And, and here are two ways that you can respond. The first response is an invitation. Come back. That's right. Come back to God. Now, I'm not saying that you have to get good enough or get together enough or even love God. God has already covered all the distance. He's with you right now. But we know that you can be in the same room with someone and still not be with them. I'm saying open yourself up to God's presence. Open yourself to God's love. See God and let him see you. Maybe you've been coming to this church for a while now and 
You're beginning to understand who Jesus is. Emmanuel, God with us, our Savior and Lord. And today can be the day when you finally say, I am yours, Jesus. I want to follow you. It doesn't mean you have no doubts or that you've stopped wondering why life is so full of disappointment. It just means that you, like the prophet Malachi, choose to put your hope in the one who has come to save you. This baby who became a man, who chose to die rather than live without you. We may be disappointed with God, but as we put our trust in other things, we we find ourselves still disappointed. Most times, we find ourselves more disappointed. I don't know what disappointments you carry with you today, but would you bring them to Jesus? Would you bring them to the one who promises to get you through whatever this life brings your way? So the first response is an invitation to come back. And the second is a charge to go out. When we find our way back to God, it's then our turn to go out and share the love we have found with others. For some people, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. They love everything about the season. The gifts, the decorations, the 24-7 Christmas music. And for others, Christmas magnifies their hurts and, and disappointments unlike any other time of the year. And now, as we face 2021, there are also some people who have put all their eggs into 2021. It's all going to be different. Going to be better in 2021. Election year is over. We've got a vaccine. It's all going to be good. But they'll find that there will still be disappointment in 2021. Some of us aren't that naive. We're realists. We've braced ourselves for another year of disappointment. You think you've solved problems? We haven't even started. It doesn't matter which person you are. Some days I'm hopeful and naive. Some days I'm cynical, living in the real world. Your life is filled with those same kinds of people. So it doesn't matter which person they are. They need to hear that they are loved. They need to hear about the good news of a God who is with us. They need to hear about a God that covers all the distance. How different would your next year look if you committed to being a person who will go out? What if you made sure to be the person with good news of great joy when you come across someone who's wrestling with disappointment? It's time for us to go out. At Christmas, we celebrate that love has come into the world. When life feels disappointing, we can look to the cradle and to the cross To remember, we are loved. For unto us, a Savior has been born. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is an everlasting sign of love.